people who are lost. So during the time of Jesus, this is the question we want to ask to begin this service. During the time of Jesus, how many of the house of Israel were lost? Again, we're not talking about sheep. We're talking about people. Now, while that might seem trivial to you, it's important for us to understand. And for this moment, we're talking about that period of time during the ministry of Jesus. Who were they? What did they need to do? What did they need to do to be saved? And the problem we might have is we ask that question, we think about them and we say, well, they were Jews. Were they not God's chosen people? How then could they be lost? And so we have to ask a question. Were the religious leaders of Jesus' day lost? Were the synagogue leaders lost? Were the priests lost? Were the Pharisees lost? Were the people that works, worked in the shops and the shepherds who guarded their sheep and, and the people that raised crops, were they lost? Well, let's see what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says that when Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them, that he, he said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I remind you that he also said this in another occasion. He said it to a woman who was not a Jew, but was a Gentile. She was a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was cruelly demon-possessed. She came and asked Jesus for help. Jesus said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who were those people? Who was lost? Who of the Jews were lost in the time of Jesus? Well, that Jesus encountered. You will remember Nicodemus, who Jesus encounters in John chapter 3. Nicodemus according to Jesus, was a ruler among the Jews. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was a little bit embarrassed to come to Jesus. And Nicodemus was also a Pharisee. And although he was a ruler among the Jews, although he was a religious leader, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was lost he was just as lost as Peter was lost before he became a disciple. He was just as lost as John was lost before he became a disciple. He was just as lost as Matthew, the tax collector, was lost before he was, uh, became a disciple. Or Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was lost before he climbed up a sycamore tree. The Bible tells us God sent his son into the world so that the world through him might be saved. He came first to the Jews. John said in the Gospel of John, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now the problem with the Jew is that because they were Jews, they thought that they were okay. And that's why many of them rejected the Lord Jesus. Well, let's move from the time of Jesus a little further. Let's talk about Saul the Pharisee, the man who became the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul the Pharisee, he woke up one day to realize after he 
encountered a bright light, shined from heaven, struck him down, blinded him, and he realized suddenly that this man who had been a, a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, a learned person in the word of God, he determined that he was the foremost of sinners and that he was lost. In the time of Jesus, every Jew was lost and every Gentile was lost. The whole world was lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross, but he came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now to explain this a little further, and, and I'm, just, I, I'm doing this because we're about to get into this a little deeper as we turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. But I want you to think about who got saved on the day of Pentecost. Did you know that everybody that got saved on the day of Pentecost was a lost Jew? Let me read you the story from Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, that's the sound of the rushing mighty wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished and said, are not all these speaking Galileans? How is it? that we each hear them in our own native tongue. And so uh, once Peter explained who Jesus was and what he came to do, this group of Jews were powerfully convicted of their sins, and this is how they responded in verse 37 of chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, these devout Jews... Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 41 said, opinion about the condition of the Jews. Well, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to look at five verses of Romans chapter 9. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers for my kinsmen according to the flesh, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To, to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So why is it that Paul is so burdened for Israel? Why? That becomes very clear, not uh, you could read, read the whole chapter, but we don't have to. All we've got to do is flip through the chapter to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. And that's the verse I want you to look at now. Romans 10, verse 1. Paul said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to them is that they might be saved. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the Israelites, the Jews of his day, they were lost. He considered 
all unbelieving Jews to be lost. Now, we'll talk about that later in greater detail, but I, I need to let you know, and I'm going to look it up on my phone quickly. I have a note from someone that, that you might listen to from time to time. His name is John Hagee. John Hagee is a, a preacher, uh, not of our denomination. Uh, he says, let us put an end to this Christian chatter that all Jews are lost and can't be in the will of God until they convert to Christianity. If Jesus refused by his words or actions to claim to be the Messiah to the Jews, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered to them? That clearly contradicts everything we just read. Paul had a great burden for his kinsmen according to the flesh because Paul said they need to be saved. Now we need to consider what it means to be lost because I think we've lost that. We've lost the meaning of lost. Now let's say I had a, a, a cube up here and, and the cube was a different color on every side. For those of you who are experts in geometry, I, I looked it up to make sure I was right. I, I Googled it to make sure. I thought I knew, but I wanted to make sure because I knew there'd be somebody smart like Lily Kate and, and correct me if I was wrong. A cube has six sides. And so if I take that cube and it's got a different color on every side, you're going to see a different color every time I turn it. The Greek word for lost is exactly the same. In English, uh, our, we, different words... It takes different words to translate that one Greek word. For instance, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. The Greek word is the word apolumi, and it means simply that, lost. When Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, it's the same word, apolumi. But let's, let's turn the cube again and look at the same Greek word when it's used in another verse. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, Jesus is conversing with a demon and the demon says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The same Greek word translated lost in Luke 19.10 is translated destroy in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 41, Jesus is telling a parable about a vineyard owner whose, whose, uh, whose workers have not been very faithful. And he says, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, or in the ESV it says, a miserable death. It is the same word. Wretched end or miserable death is the same word, the same Greek word, apolumi which means lost. In James chapter 4, verse 12, the, James said, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. The same word, apolumi, is used. It's the same word. By the way, it's the same word that's used in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
It's the word lost. It is exactly the same word. So they should not be lost. So they should not come to a wretched end, a miserable death. So they should not be destroyed. The word means the, those on the road to final ruin, the final ruin of souls without Christ from which there's no escape. It is eternal destruction. That's what the word means. Doug's picture was absolutely correct. Every day in our community, there are people go, stepping into eternity without Christ. They are, they are stepping into a, a, a realm where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because there is destruction there. There is torment there. The Bible tells us about that. And that is why Jesus came. He said, I am come to seek and save those who are lost. And by the way, they're not out wandering around. They don't know where they are because in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the things that were lost were lost to the one that owned them. The coin was absolutely unconcerned about where it was. The coin is the case in point. The coin had no concern that it was lost. The woman who owned it was broken that she lost it because it belonged to her. In Ezekiel, the Bible says, God says, all souls are mine. And God is broken when there is one who is lost. So God, Paul shared God's passion for seeking the lost. We'll look again at Romans 5, 1 through 3. He said, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This burden that Paul was sharing in the ninth chapter of Romans concerned his own relatives and his own countrymen. Don't you know that he had family members who were still lost? Cousins and maybe brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends and former Pharisees who were still lost. And he said, I'm concerned about them. How do you see those who belong to you? What is the witness of your conscience? The witness of your conscience about the people of this community, about the kids you go to school with, about the people that you work with, about your children and your grandchildren. Do you bear any concern for them? The heart of God mourns for the lost, longs for the lost. Jesus told a parable. He said, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If he turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices more over the ninety-nine which moreover it than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones will perish. Not one child in your church, not one youth in your church, not one young person at school, not one person in this community. God has a burden on His heart. Why? Because of the value of those people. The shepherd was looking for the sheep because it belonged to him. The shepherd was looking for the sheep because the clock was ticking and every hour that it was lost meant the danger increased. And what does he do? What, does the, what did the shepherd in the parable do? He went after it until he found it. What does that mean? It means he's relentless to find the one for him is worth the effort, worth the time, and worth the cost. 
Jesus told that parable to show the heart, the concern of God's heart for those who are lost. Lost people don't seek God. They aren't wandering around looking for God. They're lost to God. And God has a burden on His heart for them. And that burden ought to be on your heart. Now, let's talk about what was one of Paul's primary methods in seeking the salvation of the lost. Well, you know what Paul did. He, he preached, didn't he? Uh, certainly, certainly he probably witnessed, as Doug said, he would tell people about Jesus. But did you pick up on one of Paul's primary methods in Romans chapter 10, verse 1? He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. Paul prayed for the lost. He prayed that God would save them. He prayed that God would reach them. How does that work, by the way? Well, we have a perfect picture of that in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of Abraham and the two angels that came to visit Abraham? When God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you know God did destroy those two cities. He told Abraham, he said, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. And when God told Abraham, Abraham immediately realized, I've got a nephew and his family living in Sodom. God's going to destroy Sodom. So what Abraham did, he began to engage God. He said, God, if you can find 50 righteous people there, for the sake of 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? And God said, yes, I'll spare the city for the sake of 50. And then Abraham went down in his number from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20. To, and the story goes, I can't remember all the definite numbers, but he got down to five. He said, God, if there's just five righteous people, will you spare the city for the sake of five? And God said, yeah. If you can find five, if there are five there. Well, you know how many righteous people there were in Sodom? Same amount of righteous people that live in Loosedale. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. God was going to destroy the city. Destruction was evident. They were all lost. But because Abraham prayed, God sent those two angels to destroy Sodom, but first their mission was to save Lot out of Sodom, to get him and bring him outside of the city so that he would be safe. Because Abraham prayed, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire, I'm burdened, and because I'm burdened, I'm praying I have this sorrow and this anguish and I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my friends. I'm praying for my neighbors. I don't remember who the preacher was. I was a young person, probably about 15 years old or so. And we had an evangelist come to our church. We had a revival when I was growing up and the evangelist said, he said, I want each one of you to commit to praying for one person you know who's lost. And I picked out a little boy in the church who was three or four years younger than me. And all that week, I prayed for him. I prayed for him by name. I prayed, God, would you, would you bring him to salvation? Nothing happened the first night or the second night. But you know, we had five-night revivals back then. And on Friday night, that young man went down to the front. And I went home that night. And when I got home, I just wept. I thought, Lord, you answered my prayer. You 
heard me. You think God will hear you if you prayed for someone who is lost? If you took it on your heart to say, God, I share your burden for that person. I want to see that person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. My husband, my parents, my friends, my children, my grandchildren. Paul's primary method was prayer. So what's the testimony of your conscience? Several years ago, Southern Baptist had an emphasis, and it was called, Who's Your One? And what, what we were asked to do at that time was to pick one person, just one person, and make it our priority to pray for that person, to ask God for opportunities to witness to that person, to bear that person on our heart until we saw them come to faith in Christ. Is there somebody like that that you know? A neighbor, a friend, somebody in your family that you ought to bear a concern for? One of the people that work for you. Somebody that, that ought to be a burden on your heart every day. Because, as Doug said, there are people that step out into eternity. God's going to lay a burden on your heart, I pray, this year for someone. And maybe this will be the year that our church returns to its mission of seeking and saving those that are lost. That was Christ's mission and that's our mission. J Jesus said, as the Father had sent me, so send I you. And sometimes God makes that mission very personal. It's not just an overarching mission for the church. Sometimes he'll speak to your heart and say, you're the one I'm calling to do this. You're the one I'm calling to pray. You're the one I'm calling to share with a friend or a neighbor. Or you're the one I'm calling for a special purpose because I have a special purpose for your life. What's God saying to you today? Is he saying to you what he said to Paul? And does it so consume you that you have to answer God's call?